The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. More disappointing data out of China. Key indicators show fresh pain for policymakers as Beijing cuts the rates of its midterm lending facility and pauses publishing information on its soaring youth unemployment problem. A Georgia grand jury indicts former President Donald Trump, charging him with felony racketeering and numerous conspiracy charges in his fourth indictment since leaving office. The defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. Uh, on the record, Republican presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis tells CNBC exclusively that Bob Iger should drop his Disney lawsuit and uh, he also talks tough on China as the campaigning season heats up. I would view them as an adversary, and I think it's, that doesn't mean you don't deal with them. Of course, you've got to deal with a lot of people, but that is, that is not the direction we need to go. And NVIDIA tears away, popping 7% with Saudi Arabia and the UAE reportedly joining the AI rush, racing to order thousands of semiconductors from the Silicon Valley chip maker. A huge focus again out of China and it's around the latest data. You'll notice something about these numbers being in the low single digits. Remember a time when we used to have double digit numbers? Uh, well, the latest Chinese industrial production and retail prints for the month of July added to the country's economic woes. Both slowed on the month and came in well below forecasts. Industrial output expanded by 3.7% on year compared to an expected increase of around 4.5%. When it comes to the retail sales, only rising by 2.5%. That was their slowest pace since December. Now, fixed asset investment was up 3.4% year-to-date. However, that does include an almost 18% slump in property investment for July, according to Reuters calculations. Now, as sales for floor area slumped by some 24%. Just prior to this uh, big deluge of data out today, China's central bank, the PBOC, unexpectedly cut its key rates by their steepest level since 2020, including slashing its one-year loan rate by 15 basis points to 2.5%. The latest cut underscores officials' concerns over the Chinese economy's worsening outlook as calls continue to grow for greater stimulus measures. Well, let's get out to our colleague Sam for more. Sam, we've seen a reaction in the currency as well suggestion that there may have been some state intervention to provide some props as well. Just walk us through the significance because the market has been concerned about China all year. And I think now it's increasingly concerned. Very good morning to you, Karen. Yes, lots happening over in China. Very busy morning in the Asian session, of course. We're just coming out of the lunch break now for the Chinese markets. But I suppose the disappointing data which you highlighted very much explains why we did get that 15 basis point cut to the medium term lending facility rate just before the market opened. Now, um, the analysts polled by Reuters weren't expecting to see any change today. And that was largely, as you pointed out, because of any further depreciation pressure on 
the Chinese currency. So we have seen the yuan uh, off the back of that uh, slipping to a nine-month low against the dollar. However, offsetting some of that perhaps was two things, a stronger-than-expected fixing by the PBOC and also, as you mentioned, uh, the state bank uh, intervention uh, that we have uh, reportedly been seeing in the markets uh, today, snapping up uh, yuan selling dollars to try to stem any further declines. Now, the uh, change to the MLF rate, uh, perhaps also trying to offset any sort of disappointment in the markets about what has been a softer set of numbers, uh, which was worse than the market was anticipating. So uh, here's a look at Chinese equities uh, for the afternoon session. We've got uh, the Shanghai stocks are down around three-tenths of a percent. So uh, perhaps some of that uh, policy easing is offsetting any sort of deeper declines. But this very much, I think, uh, speaks to uh, investor sentiment right now that they're not quite convinced uh, that these cuts are going to go far enough to try to boost the confidence and fix the malaise we're seeing over in China right now when you've got uh, retail sales, as you can see, they're only growing two and a half percent. That is very much consistent with the weaker credit data that we've been seeing. Um, But also when you look at the deflation risk, we're starting to come through now. Um, The authorities today saying there is no deflation risk and there won't be in the future. So don't mention the D word right now. They do seem to be uh, more or less confident that the economy certainly can rebound. Uh, What was interesting also was the uh, unemployment rate ticking up to 5.3%, but no youth unemployment rate. They've stopped publishing those numbers and they say they want to get a better picture of how that segment of the Chinese economy is holding up right now because it does capture 16 to 24 year olds who they say many are of course at school and they don't want to, they are trying to get a better picture of certainly a sense of the economy right now in terms of that that snapshot, in terms of that gauge. So uh, that's what we got today uh, from the Stats Bureau. And certainly the the markets don't seem to be too convinced about what they got from the PBOC this morning. Back to you. Thank you very much for that, Sam. I think one of the points here, we've been talking about deflation for a while and the mindset about what that brings to the consumer, that if you think prices are going to fall in future, why buy now? Why not wait and uh, pay less down the track? And if we look at that very slim gain in the retail sales number, it's been stimulated and we're still only getting 2.5%. So uh, that is telling you about some weakness there. For me, what also jumps out around this story is the amount of state intervention of this uh, conversation around the yuan being supported today by state players. There's also been a lot of tracking of uh, some of the inflows into stocks and funds in recent weeks. And there is a view that uh, Team China might be behind some of the big buying into the ETFs as well. So it feels as though there's a lot of props going into the Chinese Um, economy. We should compare and contrast because we just had some amazing data out of Japan as well, which creates a whole host of headaches uh, for the Japanese and the BOJ. But I want to go back to China. Uh, And there is so much to digest because thanks to the Chinese authorities, they give us this enormous data drop. But as we were saying, they're underwhelming on FAI, fixed asset investment, underwhelming in improv uh, and indeed retail sales. But the biggest underwhelming, I think, is what Sam just mentioned there, is the fact that they've decided to take out the subsect of youth unemployment. Now, the last data we had on youth unemployment in June was 21.3%, as opposed to the headline figure on uh, unemployment of just over 5% as well. To suddenly turn around to us now and say, oh, no, we're reassessing our methodology. We are looking at the economic and social changes. Well, people who have had question marks about Chinese data for decades will now be saying, so what? 
you were saying we were right all along to be worried about the data or were we wrong all along to be worried about the data as well? And I know it's only one subset, but it's a very important subset and it's a very emotive subset as well. If you've got 21% of your university graduates and your, un your people coming out of education more generally who are not finding jobs. That is an enormous social and political headache for the authorities. And let me just give you an example of corporates. If whenever we see a, you and I are sitting here and a corporate says, oh, we don't want to do quarterly reporting, it's ridiculous, it's a, it's a silly snapshot, we want to give you a longer term smooth piece of data as well. Or someone like Apple suddenly says, we're not going to give you a breakdown on individual iPhone sales because we don't think you need to as well. We immediately as journalists raise questions about why now? Why are you not giving us the data that we can pour over and make our own minds up about as well. I don't know what Sean, our next guest, thinks about this, but I actually really think that taking away that subset of data, I think it has potentially interesting ramifications for the political establishment. Yeah, indeed it does, and in fact, uh, put our focus on it more than anything rather than distracting us. Let's get to Sean Ryan, who is managing a director at China Market Research Group. Sean, thanks for joining us today. A big uh, amount of di data to digest here, but it does seem as though it's more of the same of what we've been hearing from China about the deflation story, the impact on various different uh, drivers of this economy traditionally. Just give us a sense as to what jumped out to you about the data and uh, what's relevant at this point. Well, it's good to be here. I think, unfortunately, the numbers that came out today, especially retail sales only growing 2.5% year on year, is just confirming what you and I talked about the last time I was here. Um, consumer sentiment is really quite negative right now, um, there, uh, but it's gotten actually worse since we last spoke, and I expect the August numbers to be even more difficult. And I think investors need to take note that two things have really started to happen in the last week or two. The first is that um, we're starting to see mass layoffs in a lot of companies within China. And so you're going to start to see more and more Chinese are hearing rumors of layoffs happening. They're going to get scared about their own financial well-being. So I expect the August numbers to even be worse um, because people are going to start cutting back. Second, you know, the news of Country Garden, the giant real estate developer, which was always one of the shining examples of a well-run real estate company, missed payments on just several million dollars on their coupon bonds last week. This week, they've stopped trading all of their bonds. These two nuggets of information combined are really hurting consumer confidence. So I expect that August numbers are going to disappoint even more than July numbers because consumers are just shaken by the layoffs and what's happening in real estate. So we're not supposed to say the D word, but it's something that investors need to be aware of. The D word is happening in China right now because consumers are taking a wait and see attitude on buying big ticket items like housing, real estate volumes. You know, investment went down 8.5 percent last month. Year on year, it's going to be anemic in August. D word, of course, being deflation and the mindset that that brings, Sean. Can I just get to what authorities can do from here? Because already we've seen measures about a month ago to, to boost auto spending and also uh, forking out on home appliances. I mean, there's been stimulatory measures there as well as monetary policy tweaks. Another measure today on the monetary side from the PBOC. Does any of this work at some point? Frankly, the government is stuck in a hard place. They really can't do that much right now because we're not facing a crisis of liquidity. There's ample liquidity in the marketplace. The government has dropped interest rates. They've really told the state-owned banks to open up the lending taps. The real problem is China is facing a crisis of confidence. Consumers don't want to spend. And you see the numbers, about 3.5% increase of, of fixed asset investment. The SMEs just don't want to invest right now. So if 
companies and if consumers are not willing to borrow money, it really doesn't matter what interest rates are right now. So it's a crisis of confidence, not a crisis of liquidity. So the government really can't do much in the short term to short confidence. Second, I think the government is already highly indebted, especially at the local government level. You see a lot of local governments like in Guiyang, in southern China, you know, are full to the gill in debt. And so the government can't take on more debt unless you're going to run into a debt crisis, um, you know, five, ten years down the line. So if I was advising Xi Jinping, I would say don't launch a major stimulus. You know, just we have to expect three to six months of tough times. We have to weather the storm right now because there's no quick fixes unless you're going to launch a stimulus, but then cause even bigger problems five, 10 years down the line. It's just going to be a tough time for investors and consumers and those of us who live here for the next three to six months. Sean, for most of this century, the West has been in awe of the number of tech graduates that the Chinese are throwing out every year. 4.7 million STEM graduates a year, 8.3 million graduates in total, 773,000 with masters and doctorate degrees. The West was shaking at this technological, um, educational, I don't know, explosion, so to speak. But now 21% of Chinese who are leaving education are not getting jobs. How worried are the Chinese about this? In fact, it sounds like they're very worried because they've stopped the data. It is a big problem. You know, last month they announced that it was 21.8% youth unemployment between the age of 16 and 24. And it's bad. I'll give an example. Yesterday, I'm actually hiring. Um, yesterday, I interviewed a girl from Shanghai who got a master's degree at Columbia University. And I interviewed her uh, for a second round interview. And she was almost on the verge of tears because she said she just can't even get interviews. She never expected that someone graduating from such a great university like Columbia would have problems even getting interviews, let alone getting jobs. So the reality is the unemployment numbers are far higher than 21.8% because what's happened is a lot of young people are saying, you know what, I'm not going to look for a job right now. I'm just going to go home for three to six months, stay with family. And those people are not counted in official unemployment numbers. So some uh, economists here have estimated that the unemployment rate for youth could be up to 44%. This is a problem. Obviously, it's something the government needs to worry about. Now, and a lot of hedge funds have called me up and said, do I think that there's going to be social instability from this? The answer is no. I don't think this is going to happen in the next six months. And the reason is the youth aren't angry at China's government. They're not blaming China and Xi Jinping and the Communist Party for the economic slowdown. They're angry more at the Biden administration because they feel that Biden's sanctions on the technology sector, like against Huawei and the sort of Damocles that's hanging over Timu and TikTok and whether they're going to be allowed to continue to operate in the United States is what's hurting business confidence. So actually, there's growing anger in China, not towards the party, but towards Biden in the United States which is also something investors need to worry about because that could have a backlash on some American brands or Japanese brands. If Chinese say, you know what, we're not going to buy brands from Shiseido in Japan if the Japanese are not going to sell China semiconductor chips so those STEM graduates can't get good jobs like they expected. 
Sean, absolutely fantastic analysis. Thank you very much indeed. I know there was a whole host of technological problems before you came to air, so I do appreciate you sticking with us because it was worth it from our point of view. Thank you. Sean Rain, who is the Managing Director of the China Market Research Group, who, if you're watching in China, is hiring, so get your CV to him. Um, <laughs> economic and, well, at least one post anyway. Economic and political pressures have seen investors fleeing Chinese markets for greener pastures. Uh, find out where they've been heading and what the prospects of a China comeback look like on our premium service, CNBC Pro. Subscribe at cnbc.com slash pro or by scanning the QR code on your screen now. There we go. Right, okay, let's move on. Uh, Prosecutors in Georgia have charged the former President Donald Trump with 13 criminal counts in his fourth indictment since leaving office. Trump and 18 others have been charged with racketeering amongst other crimes relating to their alleged attempt to overturn the results of the 2020 election in the state. I don't think they were alleged attempts. I think he tried to turn it over. But whether he did it legally or not, that was what's alleged. Because, I mean, he was definitely trying to turn it over. I don't think there's anything legalistic about that. Just a question of whether the measures he was proposing were legal or not. Right. Surely that's it. I mean, he was definitely trying to turn it over. We all saw that in the press. Interesting clarification. Yeah. Yes. I don't know, just from my own point of view, anyway. Mm. Uh, I'm sure I'm in trouble with the CNBC lawyers now. Uh, a Trump campaign statement described the indictment as, quote, bogus, accusing the prosecutors of looking to interfere with the 2024 presidential election. That's very interesting. Now, the district attorney is Fanny Willis, and uh, she said that the indictment accuses Trump and others of bypassing the legal process. There, there's the clarification. Bypassing the legal clarification or process to challenge the election results. Georgia, like every state, has laws that allow those who believe that results of an election are wrong, whether because of intentional wrongdoing or unintentional error, to challenge those results in our state courts. The indictment alleges that rather than abide by Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. Now, the latest charges come as campaigning steps up ahead of the first Republican primary debate. It's later this month, actually. Now, Trump's closest polling rival, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, has told CNBC exclusively that he wants to bolster the U.S. military to tackle China. China, if they're overtaking us economically, uh, that is going to change the world. It will change the daily lives of American families uh, if the Chinese are dominating the world. So I think this decade is the decisive decade. I don't think it's only economic, but I do think it's primarily economic. And you guys have covered, you are seeing uh, less uh, interest in China marginally now because I think a lot of companies understand there's risks associated with investing in China given all the geopolitical realities we face. There are, their, their economy right now is slowing down dramatically. It's in fact, some people might say the property sector's in shambles. That's That aside, getting a little bit too much into the weeds in China there. But let's just say, first off, do you think they would take military action against Taiwan? I'm gonna ask you that as a, as a formal naval officer. And if so, what's our proper response economically Because to your point, they do manufacture most of our pharmaceuticals, the critical minerals that we need for electric car batteries, personal protective equipment, to your point, Governor. So would they do it? 
Xi would do it if he thinks they could get away with it. And so what do we need to do? Our policy needs to be one that will deny their ability uh, to do that and deter them from wanting to do it. If he thinks that they are going to end up buying more problems than they're solving, yeah. by they will not do it. Right now, we don't have an adequate defense posture in the Indo-Pacific to be able to deter it. I think if you look at the Biden administration, you listen to people like Janet Yellen, uh, they're living in a different reality than I think where most people are on this. Uh, they are Why? Not What's that reality? Well, I think what's wrong with it? I, I think I think they think that uh, that China's just like, you know, that this is kind of like a healthy competition. And, and that's not how uh, I would view it. Uh, I would view them as an adversary. And I think it's that doesn't mean you don't deal with them. Of course, you've got to deal with a lot of people. But that is that is not the direction we need to go. Coming up on Squawk Box this morning, Warren Buffett and Michael Burry and David Einhorn warning of a slowdown in equity markets as the leading asset managers disclose their latest stock picks. We'll take a look at the key takeaways from this quarter's 13F filings. The war in Ukraine and climate change weigh on agricultural prices with developing countries hit hardest. We'll discuss that with the world's banks ahead of commodities. And on the earnings front, uh, with the latest numbers out of Pandora, will they shine? We'll discuss that with the CEO, Alexander Lasik, at 7.45 CET. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. U.S. markets are bouncing to kick off the trading week, and you can see uh, for the Dow, slim ranges, 26 points to the upside. Salesforce, one of the big moving stocks uh, driving the index, although an undercurrent here, Goldman Sachs, uh, just moving into negative territory, so undermining some of that direction. But away from uh, the Dow, you could see stronger ranges on both the S&P and the Nasdaq, telling you about the story around some of these big tech stocks, and you can see a 1% pop on the Nasdaq as a result. It was an NVIDIA play. Take a look at the big uh, U.S. chip makers, Morgan Stanley uh, singled out the big AI company as its top pick, calling the sell-off uh, another entry point here. And you can see, as we take a look at NVIDIA stock, uh, a balance of 7%. So certainly a strong single-digit move to the upside. And we also had a, a rally in uh, advanced micro device, a 4.1% higher. Intel and Texas Instruments also playing in that chip rally yesterday. To the big dollar trades, and this is how we look. Uh, sterling dollar clawing back some territory morning session, uh, just a fraction higher, 126.91 on sterling, and uh, just above the 109 handle on euro dollar. When it comes to dollar yen, we are seeing a slight dip there. The uh, yen, no doubt driven by the surprise out of Japan, uh, showing us 6% growth in the second quarter on annualized growth. So uh, certainly a bounce for the economy there. The uh, dollar yuan rates also moving high. We've had that weakness out of the Chinese data today to digest. To WTCI, Brent and Gold, what's been interesting has been the support we've seen in recent weeks 
for Brent and WTI despite uh, the string of bad news out of China. Again, as we have the China news today, Brent is holding 86.22 and WTI 82.5 uh, around that level. Gold prices are just uh, above the 1900 level, a slight uh, patch of red ink. To the Asian markets, and I mentioned all this data that's been crossing out of China, out of Japan. This is how the markets have been digesting it. It's a firmer story for Japanese stocks on the GDP printout of uh, Japan, seven tenths north. But again, the challenge of just wading through the, the retail sales, industrial numbers, fixed asset investment out of China. It's weaker day for the Hong Kong as a market as a result, down one odd percent, six tenths down in Shanghai, and Australia just managing to stretch out again of four tenths of a percent, Steve. Yeah, I just I tell you one thing, Karen. I, I'm I'm old enough and have been around these markets long enough to know that I know nothing. And and the fact of the matter is, one thing I do know though is that Nvidia is going to be volatile no matter what you do with this stock going forward. If you own it, good luck to you. If you're short of it, even more luck to you as well because it's just winging around unbelievably at the moment. Shares jumped yesterday after Morgan Stanley reiterated that the stock remained a top pick. In a note published uh, yesterday, Morgan Stanley analysts said they expected strong visibility from NVIDIA going forward, adding the company should benefit from massive spending on AI. Meanwhile, talking about massive spending on AI, the FT reported that the governments of Saudi Arabia and the UAE have purchased large numbers of NVIDIA computer chips as they look to develop their own AI software. Now, Monday marked the deadline for 13F filings in the United States. Uh, with the country's largest asset managers uh, split on what's next for the world's largest economy. Uh, well, don't worry, Arabile is here to break it all down for you. Hello, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you, Steve. Well, these deadlines are quite critical, right? I mean, they give you a clear sense of where uh, all of these asset managers are kind of looking at things, where they see things really going. We thought we'd take a look at that and really tech was some of the big news story there. And the NASDAQ is up uh, 31% so far this year. So the big gain, and it was certainly a tale of bulls and bears for this quarter's 13F filings. With uh, tech, the main equity story, after stocks in that sector posted what was effectively their best first half since 1983. Now, the NASDAQ is up more than 30% on the year alone, as we've just noted. Now, Appaloosa and Third Point are among the funds who either took new stakes in tech companies or dramatically upped their bets. Appaloosa's Alibaba holdings are up around 4,400% on the quarter. Third Point more than doubled its position on the Chinese tech giant and opened new stakes then in TSMC as well as in NVIDIA. But it's not all optimism from the asset managers. Warren Buffett uh, out, uh, rather cut his Activision stake by 70%. Burry and David uh, Ahorn uh, also sounded the Einhorn, should I say, sounded the alarm on what's next for equity markets. Burry, made famous in the big short film, of course, owned 2 million uh, puts against a key S&P ETF in the second quarter. We don't know, though whether he still holds them or if it was some sort of hedge. But that position indicated a bet against almost $900 million worth of shares at the end of June. Now, Greenlight Capital's David Einhorn said he added, quote, substantial portfolio potential through index hedges in an investor letter that is seen by CNBC. Now, Einhorn, whose fund outperformed the S&P by nearly 6% then in the second quarter, had a stark warning for equity investors. In his investor letter, the star manager said, if we were bearish until March and neutral through June, we would now characterize ourselves 
as being worried, guys. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.